Revelation 6, 6 through 10. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of God. Good morning. It's good to be back. Hey, how you doing? You good? Um, I'm George O'Hyde again. I'm associate pastor here at Christ Central, and uh, I've had two weeks off on vacation, so um, uh, I'm, I, I'm feeling nice and rested and relaxed um, and uh, excited to be back with you guys. I'm, I miss Christ Central. Uh, you can ask Amanda that um, uh, just something about this church that I just love, and uh, the Lord ministers to me here as well. Um, we're going to be working through mostly verses 7 through 9 this week. Uh, just a few verses, and uh, as I was reading these verses, I, I, I was kind of over... I, I, well, let me just start with this. I've been thinking a lot about music lately, because uh, as some of you may know, Christ Central, we've been uh, considering having um, uh, recording our music, and uh, and putting it on a CD, and doing some recording, and, and uh, which is really exciting, but to say I was a novice in understanding of music would be an overstatement. Um, I, I don't know anything about how music works and how things are recorded, but when you learn about recording, you learn about how it all kind of fits together. And I've never seen music so structurally as I have been before, and uh, and and how things are recorded, and the way things, the order of things, and how much uh, it's like architecture or something like that. Uh, it, it's it fits so beautifully, and nicely. And I I like playing my CD player, I mean that's about all I can play musically. So I'm learning a lot about this as I go. But as I kept reading this passage over and over again, all I could think about was the tune or the uh, the musicality of this passage. I kept thinking the structures and the parts, uh, the building blocks of what was going into it. Um, and so I don't know if it was like I was whistling while I was working or the Lord was somehow uh, working or singing to me in the middle of this passage but uh, as it was working itself on me. But I just kept thinking of the of the musical structures that are in that. So I'm going to start with some of that. We're going to talk a little about the, the kind of musicality, if you will, the sound of, of this passage passage in a little bit, uh, and we're going to use that as its, in the beginning as its main structure to talk. Um, but what's more important, or it's just as important as the music, or uh, is what is he talking about? Uh, why is this passage important? Why should we listen to this song, if you will? Who cares, and is it worthwhile to listen to? And of course, um, not just because it's the scripture, but because it's true, uh, the answer is yes. It's dealing with some really... Uh, Important things. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, one who has has said that they will they will they are to follow Christ. For those of you who have yielded your life to Jesus, you'll notice what we're talking about. It's talking about agriculture per se, sowing and reaping again, which I know nothing about. Um, and it's talking about planting uh, and uh, or sowing, this kind of throwing the grain out and then reaping, which is uh, after it's grown, pulling things in and uh, cutting them for harvest. 
But it's using this thing to talk about the daily grind of what it means to follow Jesus. And it is a daily grind, and it experiences that way. And, and you'll see this passage work through it. And so this song uh, will uh, will deal with that drain and that tiredness and the temptations we face as followers of Christ. And for those of you who don't know uh, or don't consider yourselves followers of Christ, this is a great chance to look in, in look in on these quirky people called the people of God and kind of say, well, what is this all about? Who? What are they all about? And what is this God that they serve is all about? And I hope it's beneficial to both of us. But before we do, let's kind of dim the lights a little bit. You know how you do when you're listening to a good album or something and you, you, you turn the TV off and ask the kids to be quiet if you have them uh, and uh, get your favorite uh, uh, adult beverage, wine or spirit or hot milk if that's your preference or under 21. And uh, let's listen to the sounds of the harvest and we start with the bass notes. It starts with this boom. Boom, Omari, I wish I had your voice, man. I could hit a boom like nobody's business if I had your voice. Boom. Uh, See, it doesn't even work. I got a whiny voice. What am I going to say? Boom. That's where it starts. The first one, you see, you, you, you see this, uh, uh, in 7A and then in 7B, these two bass notes that hit. Do not be deceived. Boom. It's like, anybody listen to the Mission soundtrack? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, with the London Philharmonic Orchestra. First song on there, uh, Earth As It Is In Heaven, on, on Earth As It Is In Heaven. It's, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, Maricone, I think. M-A-R-R-I-C-O-N-E. Um, but it has this timpani hit in there, this drum that hits, and it's kind of semi-randomly, and it catches you off guard each time. Uh, and it's this beautiful sound, but it beats all the way through the song, and it hits so wonderfully, and it's this do-not-be-deceived kind of sound. It's a bass note that says, don't be fooled or bamboozled or duped. Don't let anyone dupe you. Don't let anybody, uh, don't let society tell you that lie. But the second bass note's even darker uh, and deeper and stronger. It's heavier in your chest, if you will. If the first one's got this kind of repetitive, even if irregular kind of sound to it, the other one is 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 right in your gut, a chest thumping kind of deep uh, deep sound. That if you stand next to the woofers down here, next to these bass notes, you can feel it in your toes and in your chest. And if you have fillings, they may fall out. And that is this: God cannot be mocked. Boom, boom. And God cannot be mocked as simply another note that says this. What I'm about to say to you is in fact true. If you translated it literally from the Greek or the original language to here, it would say, uh, God will not have you turn your nose up at him. You won't put your nose up at him. Uh, like some snooty disregard for what we're saying. Boom, do not be deceived. Boom, God cannot be mocked. It's, it's something like this. You, 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 that God cannot be mocked part is really important because it, what it's saying is, is look, I know you may want it to be different. I may that you hope, I know that you may hope that it's different. I know that you may act as if it were different. But whether you're pleading or pouting or shouting or whatever it is, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. And he's not doing it without care for his congregation. It's precisely Paul's care for his congregation that makes him hit these two bass notes to start us off. They're warnings to us to be careful, not to be duped, and not to be self-deceived either by turning our nose up at what God is saying to us. And it's interesting here to start with pastoral warning. Uh, now these are these tough bass notes because they're not just... It's If you've been following Jesus for long, for those of you who have, or if you're learning about this, these notes get hit a lot. 
these notes get hit a lot because because basically the whole of the Christian life is this combination of dealing with the fact that we live in this fallen and broken world where we are uh, sinned against and are sinners. Victims and agents and victims and agents and victims and agents and sometimes we're half victim and half agent at the same time and half agent and, half, and whatever. You know, it's all mixed up. And, and those are the notes that hit through where we are. We're either duped or we're snooty, arrogant. We're either gullible or on guerrilla warfare. They happen together, and that's who we are, and that's the, the two base notes that we keep dealing with, not just in this passage, but in Scripture, and that's the way it feels, these baselines for us. And so this is saying that we have, all of us here, have an incredible uh, potential for, being, for, for deception and self-deception, which is arrogance. And that takes, that's tough for the first two notes out the bag to come right off. Like, you know, you want something a little bit frilly and nice to start the song off, but these come straight at us. Boom, boom. Watch out. You're more gullible than you think you are. Watch out. You're more rebellious than you think you are. And it's tough to hit these notes just, uh, right off the bat. And I wish I could say that the chorus or the refrain was so much better, but it is in fact not. So we're going to have to move into the refrain for a little bit. There are verses, there's some verses here, and I'll get to the melody in a bit. But, uh, but, uh, but, but the chorus and the refrain is, is, is what you see in the next bit right there. And I think it's in seven there. That, um, that, uh, that um, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. A man reaps what he sows. Very simple. A refrain. It just says it over and over again. And I say it's a refrain because it actually happens several, pass- several times in this passage. It happens twice in verse 8. Where in, with some application to it, and also again in verse 9. But it's also a refrain, just like these two base notes are a refrain in Scripture, so is this, this kind of uh, law, if you will. A man reaps what he sows. This is kind of a, like a gravitational law, where it just doesn't change. You know, this is the way it goes. This is, um, this is the, the way it happens. And, and, and we're always going to come back to this, you know, like, like a good refrain, you know, like, you know, uh, or a catchy refrain, even if cheesy, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way or something like that where you find yourself singing the refrain you all know that song yeah uh, there you go one person knows the song very good thank you uh and anyway uh it's just this silly song that catches your ear and it comes you come back to it and this refrain is going to do that just like it does in all of scripture if you go um uh to proverbs 22 it says he who sows wickedness reaps trouble and the rod of his fury will be destroyed And then in Corinthians it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Or God's great promise, after the flood, when sowing and reaping, uh, farming, was really kind of tough when you're underwater, right? So everything is everything in the natural order of things is uh, is disrupted. But when he returns, Yahweh returns to bring the promise to his people. He says this, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest... Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. This sowing and reaping is permanently embedded into the rocks of the earth, into the soil of the ground. It's like natural law. If you plant tulip bulbs, you really ought not expect roses. You shouldn't. Now, for those of you who are humble and good, both of you, For those of you who are humble, good, this probably is just, you know, universally, universally sensible to you. And that you like this and it sounds good and right. And you just accept it as the norm. But if you are like me, 
This drives you crazy. If you're like me who wants to put his nose up in the air, mocking, if you will, towards God, this is, uh, this, this drives you crazy that's immutable law, that there's no way around this. That there's no way to kind of work the angle, or fudge a little, or just go on personality a little bit, you know, you know? You could always get the A plus from the A minus, but just a little extra conversation with the teacher, or something. And it reminds me of a phrase my mother used with such gusto and regularity, such bravado. It was lore in my home and lore among my friends. My mother's Italian, has an incredibly beautiful Italian thick accent. And here's her phrase that haunts me to this day. Garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> y'all laughing. Y'all just like my friends were. Laughing at me every time. Garbage in, garbage out. She hadn't said it in 15 years, I don't think, unless I've just, you know, taken it out from my ability to listen to. But, uh... But whether it's dealing with junk food or what I watched on TV or uh, what I was reading or whatever I let in that was not even just bad, but but just not good. Garbage in, garbage out. And of course, with that Italian accent, all my friends loved it that much more and mocked me for it and all that other stuff. And uh, I knew better. I can handle all the messages that the music brings my way. I can eat whatever I want. Back then I was actually, you know, reasonably uh, fit. I could handle it. I knew what to do. I could listen to, watch, see anything. And I would be okay. No correlation between the garbage in or the garbage out. Sugar doesn't make me hyper. I am in supreme control of myself. Nose up, ears closed, ready to roll. Until that one day. Because God's wisdom nor a mother's wisdom can be mocked. I remember it was a it was somewhere, right, maybe freshman year in high school, maybe eighth grade or something like that. Those long summer days, there's nothing to do. We stayed up way too late watching some movie we probably shouldn't have watched. Uh, uh, and, uh, and it was late. People were staying at the house. And, you know, maybe 10 o'clock late. Like late morning, maybe 10 or 11 o'clock. Um, and uh, a Snickers bar, something. We ate something. And so, all of a sudden, energy like nobody's business came. And I had played the greatest indoor basketball game ever played in man, to mankind. And you know which ones I'm talking about? The ones you hang over the door that just kind of hook right over the door at the little orange. It was, it was violent. It was three of us, bloodshed. It was one of the great games of all time. And there are no fouls, you understand, in indoor basketball, right? If you make it to the hole, you make it to the hole. That's it. If you don't make it, you don't make it. That's it. 20 minutes of glory. And then the sugar rush was done. And I was out. We were all out. After, of course, we fought, you know, tooth and nail, literally fist fight afterward, you know, because we were, we were so jacked up on sugar and no sleep and everything. But I was in control, right? And I remember sitting back after I was ticked at my friend and we were sitting on the bed and we were, of course, going to get better, get, be fine after we had another, you know, candy bar or something. Uh, uh, I thought, you know what? Gotta be Jean, gotta be out. It's kind of true. It may be the case that sugar makes you hyper. <laughs> a man reaps what he sows. This is what's going on here. There's another, um, there's another uh, phrase, it's an old English phrase that kind of elongates this phrase a little bit and says, sow a thought and reap an act. 
Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Doesn't that make you mad? I hope you'll be honest enough like me that, that this, re- this immutable law of reaping and sowing is, can be frustrating. You can't hoodwink it or cheat around it. You can't do that. It's, if you grow lettuce in your garden, if you plant lettuce in your garden, you're going to get lettuce. And the refrain stays the same. It's true. It happens. You may uh, have these great vocal runs or guitar solos in your song. You may head or hit a rest for 25 bars. But we're coming back to the refrain at some point. What you reap, you will sow. It will be sung again. Lord, help us. And he does. Because what he does next is, uh, as, as I was hearing it musically, is he puts two verses together. And they're the next two. That it's hard because I'm using verses in two different ways now. Two verses as in parts of a song that are actually verses in the passage. And so these next two parts of the passage become the verses of our next song. And they're foils. They go back and forth together. You see one and it's the inverse of the other. It's a yin and yang, if you will. A, a opposites attract, if you will. And they're stuck together. And um, as you would imagine that these actual choruses or these verses actually uh, develop the chorus. And that's what's going on here. Uh, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, this is verse, this verse one, uh, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And we should be able to develop this reasonably quickly because it's a little bit like my mom's all over again, you know, garbage in, garbage out. If you, if you sow in the sinful nature, you will reap destruction from that nature. And, uh, um, but, um, but as you go on, as we think about the whole context of the passage in this whole book of, the, of, the, of, of Galatians, we see that, that, that he's actually talking about two different things. And one is legalism or rule keeping to keep make you right before God. And the other one is a licentiousness, if you will, a rebellion, um, uh, going a little bit nutty uh, uh, on the other side. And both of those are what Paul would call in Galatians um, sowing or working or pursuing the sinful nature. And you should know this first one by heart because we have hit it hard now in Galatians about this law keeping, this legalism. The whole book of Galatians is this rant against these Judaizers. These guys are saying, unless you get circumcised and keep the whole law, then you can't be right before God. And he goes nuts on them. He goes crazy on them. Rightly so with this kind of right anger against them pursuing them, uh, pursuing their own goodness as the right posturing before Jesus. And then he's saying, no, you can have none of that. And we've talked about this a lot and rightly so. And we will continue to do so um, because it's a denial of the gospel. God's goodness in Christ. His free offer to rescue us, not because of our goodness, but because of his goodness. Telling someone that their position before God relies upon their keeping of the law, whatever the law be, whether it's teetotaling or not teetotaling, whether it's going on a mission trip or not going on a mission trip, whether it's don't date this person or do date that person, or whether it's service to the poor or uh, have you read this discipleship manual or have you gone to this conference or have you uh, been trained under this kind of counseling uh, system or have you prayed X amount or you've given Y amount or you drank or ate or didn't drink or didn't drink this... Anything like that is bunk. The only thing that makes us right before God is God himself. 
Jesus alone, his work, his rightness writes us. His love loves us. His sacrifice for us. His salvation rescues us. And we don't bring anything but empty hands and dirty souls to him that he cleans by his grace. We are not receivers of our rightness before God. We are not doers of our rightness before God. We are receivers. He makes us right. We don't make ourselves right before him. Anything that pursues that is sowing the sinful nature. Is, is saying, I'm good enough to handle it on my own. Me and God, we tight, we'll work it out. Not desperately needing him to bring us to grace and mercy. And the flip side, the kind of kissing cousin inverse of that is, uh, is, is, is the licentious part. There's the law over here that makes you right or the other one that makes you on your own and makes you feel the freedom that you want in Christ. And that's just doing whatever the heck you want to do. And we got that in Galatians 5 that Pastor Howard so elegantly preached on before about the sinful nature, about how we sow in that way, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord. This is in Galatians 5, by the way. Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. All that kind of stuff is fueled from our making ourselves right, or at least feel right before God. And some things are more obvious than others, but I don't know if we get this side either. Listen, we arrogantly toy with these things. Say sowing gossip and then wondering why we're ruining and having ruined relationships. Wondering why the fruit doesn't taste all that good. About how we watch explicit adult material that I know we have done into buying either that or buying into implicit messages on these airbrushed magazines that tell us what beauty and success is. We buy into those and we, we, we use our entertainment choices in that direction. And, and how much is this often is this sowing in this wrong field that will eventually hurt us? Or what about our food and our drink consumption? Good things spoiled by making it about us and making it about uh, how good we can feel or make ourselves feel better all the time. Listen, you know I don't want to tell you and I refuse to tell you what you can eat and what you can't eat and what you can drink and what you can't drink. You know this church and will will go nuts if we started telling you all these kind of things and rightly so. We will not proclaim those things to you at all. You know that I like a good beer as much as anybody in this room. But you also know, if you know me well, that I can be laissez-faire about what I put into my body sometimes. And if you don't believe me, my belt, side, my belt size itself reveals it. Slowly and surely, slowly feeding good things. God's given food for his people to enjoy and to, to, to love. Slowly and surely feeding myself on myself in the sinful nature. This is so hard because I do not want to, nor does Paul, nor does the Holy Spirit want to strip you of your freedom in Christ. We refuse to do that. But sometimes you can eat a cheeseburger to the glory of God, and sometimes you can eat a cheeseburger just being self-indulgent. And it's hard to tell the difference sometimes. And guess what I don't have for you? I don't have a new law. There is no hallelujah diet. There is no ten spiritual steps to thinness. There isn't, I can't, and I can't lie to you the other way and say, oh, your body doesn't matter. You're just, it's all spiritual. I can't lie to you there either. Scripture won't let me do that. I can't tell you any of those things. All I can tell you is that the immutable verse that we have that says, if you sow in this way, you will result in fruit this way. It leads to destruction. Maybe a better translation is corruption. It's slower than straight destruction. 
It's much slower. Y'all know this old great, I heard it in Baptist church like 30 times, it's wonderful, about the, 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 the frog in the pot, right? You know how you boil a frog, right? You cannot put the frog in a boiling pot. It'll jump out. But if you put the pot on the stove with cool water, you put the frog in and turn up the heat, it'll cook slow. We're all cooking slow, y'all. We're all cooking slow. And frog legs really ain't that great. So um, so what I'm asking you to do is do a little bit of work with me. Take the diagnostic here. There is a hint of diagnostic in these passages. Check the fruit a little bit. Check the corruption. Maybe we're sowing in the field of the sinful nature. If your relationships are buckling under strife and discord, maybe. If your heart's getting all warped up and messed up, maybe we're having some wrong heart sowing. If your body's decaying, maybe you're planting the wrong seeds in the wrong place. I'm not telling you this because I don't struggle with it, or Pastor Howard doesn't struggle with it. Eating is good. (laughs) Food is God's gift. But I have corruption here, and we all do. But we have this second verse. (laughs) And like good verses do that are juxtaposed to each other in two verse songs, the second is that foil to the first or the good foil to the first. It's an inverse and it's the good news for the bad news. And you hear it here in the second verse. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And now this universal law that has been our condemnation becomes a universal law of grace and mercy. Sowing by the Spirit itself yields something beautiful and bountiful that you don't have in you. You see this natural field of self and sin with its one-to-one correlation of garbage in and garbage out only. This second verse is talking about a second field, a supernatural field to garden in. And the second field uh, is where the spirit, uh, is correlation is not one-to-one, but one-to-eternity. Verse 1 is a plantation where we are whipped by our desires and whipped by our law keeping and forced to hard labor. And verse 2 is this incredible field, this incredible garden for us. Do the math for me. Regular dude sows regular lettuce and gets lettuce. Average Jane sows corruption and gets corruption. But a regular dude and an average Jane in their temporal, limited, sinful ways start to do spiritual things, start to sow in a spiritual manner or to the Spirit, and you have eternity as your reward. That that garden got something special in it. It's not the one-to-one correlation. The life that's marked by kindness is the, 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 the other passage that we had read from Pastor Howard's sermon is that there's this kindness, love, and joy, and peace, and patience, generosity, and gentleness, and faithfulness. All those fruit of the Spirit. That is what this field is marked by. It's marked by this, uh, this glorious grace for you. And if you're wondering what kind of field this is that we live in there or work in or we sow in, I want you to realize how gracious of a field it is. If the first one is where the taskmaster uh, whips us into shape, the second one is where you hear words like in verse 9, Let us not be weary of doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. The Spirit's um, field is a place where there's patience for our work where it understands the the sense of difficulty it is to work and do good and to move forward in following Jesus. 
The, the field of the second of the spirit is a place where we can rest in our work and live and have our being. Where we can, uh, we can know that it is wearisome. We have a, a, a master, a landlord, if you will, one who uh, oversees us, that who cares for us in that. And has, speaks gentleness to us in terms of not being weary. Doesn't whip our backs into be, into more and more and more and produce more and more and more. They're not fixed requirements. Like the insatiable appetites of sowing in the spirit. Or sowing in the flesh. It, it allows us to have a weary, but weary patience. Not the unforgiving performance of the first field. The first, the Spirit's harvest is for broken and weak and weary and sinful folks. It's a place where rebels go and get stuff they don't deserve. Or as Isaiah says, a place where we can beat our swords into plowshares. Now, I should tell you this. There's a couple places I really miss this passage, this passage, and I want to say something like 30 years, but I, I don't know. It's really bad. So I'm a little bit, as a, as a theologian, uh, I feel a little bit bad confessing this to you because I hope I never gave you bad advice. Hopefully I didn't use this passage before. But I had really messed up on this passage because I thought the universal refrain meant something like this. You get what you deserve. You reap what you sow. You get what you deserve. And I can't figure out if I was utterly arrogant and had my nose up the whole time, or it's just that I have no idea how to farm anything. But it just always hit in my head that you reap what you sow, man, you get what you deserve. And that's not the case. Talk to a farmer. They work hard. But do they think they produce the harvest? Uh Uh-uh. No. They know they rely on the sun and the earth and the, uh, the goodness of the soil and the kindness of the God of God to bring the rains. They know that this isn't something that they produce themselves. And I just missed it. I missed how glorious it was that we have this one who cares for us, who, 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 who it's not just about this merit bringing that I, I basically slid back into the sinful nature. Thinking I was earning myself or earning my way into it. If I show enough goodness for Jesus, then I'm going to get some back. As if I could earn a one-to-one correlation, but it's not. God has provided the rich soil and he gives the fruit of the harvest. I was, I was duped and deceived and rebellious in my own arrogance or uh, tomfoolery, either one. When we're um, writing and, and understanding, trying to figure out what to do with the CDs. And some songs have been written by different people, either in the band or other places. And we're talking about... Um, we're talking about uh, uh, like copyright, who owns whatever song, just to be just to everybody in, this, in the process. You know what the answer to that question is? Who wrote the melody? Because there is no song without a melody. The melody, whoever wrote the melody, you can put any bass line you want with it, you can change it up, but the melody is where the ownership of the song exists. It's really interesting. Because what we haven't talked about yet is the melody of the song. What's it all about? What's going on? Why is it important? You see, the amazing thing about this passage is that it's not, it's not that there's just something about that garden. There is someone in that garden. Look with me on that passage again that says, sows to the Spirit. He who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. He who sows to the Spirit. You hear that personalness in there? You're, you're sowing to a person, one of the persons of the Trinity. 
and from the Spirit receiving something. There is a third party in this garden. There is another one here. This is why the dynamic of just the straight garbage in, garbage out that was in the other garden doesn't work. Because there's a third person in this garden. It's the Spirit of Christ Himself. This is personal. This is the one who has come to be our great harvester. Harvesting for us righteousness. You know, in Matthew, it does, it said, Jesus says that very thing. It says this, that, uh, uh, Matthew 9, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send more out. He, in fact, he and the triune God of the Father, and the Spirit are the Lord of the harvest. They are there producing this miraculous fruit in us, in this miraculous garden that is the, uh, the field of the Spirit. He is the one is there that makes all of this worthwhile. And this brings me to the other point that I missed about this passage. I used to think this passage was about holiness. That it was primary about you producing more spiritual fruit in your heart and you just becoming a better Christian. And I was wrong. This passage is most about the gardener. This passage is most about the one who is there in the spirit. Holiness is there. Holiness is important. But it's a byproduct of time with the gardener. It's a byproduct of your relationship with the spirit who owns the field. It's a byproduct. It is not the main emphasis that's going on here. And I just missed it again. I thought the goal of the song was that was was uh, your goodness or my goodness. That's at best a harmony part. The melody part, the thing we're supposed to sing, the thing we're supposed to whistle while we work and play and fear and hope and tremble and live out our lives in this garden is Jesus himself. He is the song, the sound of what this harvest is. And he is the one that ultimately is brought out in us. He's the goal, the end, from which holiness and a bunch of other good stuff flow. It's him, the center of this garden. Listen, y'all. Jesus will have us back in his field. That's the glory of the gospel. He will have us back. It's for broken people who sing off key, you don't get the harmonies right. It's for those of us who disregard the first two booms of the bass lines in the beginning sometimes. We can return to him again and again. Again and again. Because the chorus is tied to that second verse, which is tied to the whole melody, which is Jesus himself who invites us back to himself over and over again. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you love us, that you um, you treat us not as our sins deserve, that you that you care for us, that you uh, tend to us as a garden, that you are the Lord of the harvest who reaps greatness uh, out of us for us. Lord, we praise you. Help us trust you to return to you again and again. We ask in your name. Amen.